Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I am this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Eddie Webb. Hello. And our wonderful recurring guest, part-time host at this point, maybe, uh, <laughs> and also DM for this session, Travis Legg. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being here. So, full disclosure, uh, I know we announced in the blog we were going to have the first episode of our actual play featuring Eddie, Dixie, Matthew, and special guest Jessica Ross. Uh, that said, that is not happening. Yeah. We are in, so, sometimes real life happens. And this happens in real life gaming groups as well. So we wanted to be really transparent about that. And we're still going to have an actual play. We're still going to do it. It'll be with Eddie and myself. So we're going to talk about what happens if essentially players can't get to a game for mm -hmm. a couple weeks. Maybe running a side adventure with two of the other people who can show up could be fun. Mm -hmm. um, if you have people that initially are interested but then can't play at all for whatever reason, you can adjust your campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can do, but I know that plans for a four-player game, especially with pre-established characters like Jess's was, uh, won't necessarily be the same plans we're going to do for a two-player game. Um, however, for this session, we're going to do a session zero, a little bit of it, talk to mm -hmm. Travis maybe about what kind of ad ad adventure we want to go on, and go over our character choices. Uh, I apologize also if I sound a little... Uh, rough around the edges <laughs> i do have kind of a, a respiratory thing going on right now not not the bad thing but still a respiratory thing right so if i'm uh squeaky or gravelly at any point during this podcast please forgive me i'm doing my best no totally uh, but i mean I, I think it's it's i'm glad that we're doing it this way because like you said um this is not only the nature of just making a podcast right like you know this is not the first time we've had we've announced an episode and mm -hmm. turned around i have been through different episodes this is i think the second or third time we've done that yeah. But you're right. This has been a problem for gaming groups probably since 1974, you know? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a problem probably for anybody playing any sort of game since the dawn of freaking time. Right. Because as we all know, the monster hardest to slay in Dungeons & Dragons is, in fact, the scheduling right. of all the players. Absolutely. But also, like, going back to, like, you know, hey, they're having, like, cavemen races. Grog can't make it. He hurt his ankle. You know? Like, mm -hmm. this is just a thing that happens. Exactly. But I mean, um, you're right. There, there are lots of different ways to do it. And, and um, one of the reasons why uh, we decided to go this route is because uh, when you have a, a, a significant failure in terms of attendance, mm -hmm. um, it is better to be open and talk about it rather than just kind of plow through. I mean, to, to full disclosure, Travis actually had plans for how we could theoretically move ahead. Um, but we talked it through and realized that it would be better if we kind of just started over and worked forward that way. Um, and so having these kinds of conversations, being open with with not only the game master, but also the players and saying, here's what we're thinking, here's what we'd like, um, what can we do with the situation we have on hand rather than the mm -hmm. situation that we'd like to have, will ultimately make for a more satisfying game rather than trying to cram the game that was originally intended into an increasingly deformed shape based on who can attend and what's going <laughs> on and the, the problems and permutations that come with that. Right. And I do want to take this opportunity to just uh, point out that w when we had initially only lost one player, <laughs> right. right? we had the, we had a plan. Uh, we were going to murder him. Yes. Uh, no, actually there's this wonderful creature. I wanted to murder him. <laughs> I mean, you can murder Matthew game, any, I mean. on your own time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but there's a uh, uh, monster in uh, Scarred Land's Creature Collection 5e called the Dream Shadow, which is specifically 
uh, included in Scarlands to create a um, in-world way of dealing with one player's absence. Oh. Um, it states right here, their uh, dream shadows aren't meant as enemies. They belong in the GM's tool belt to mm. help players who cannot make a session. The shadow offers an in-game opportunity to sideline a PC without splitting the party as they travel. When the player becomes available again, the shadow releases its captive. So effectively, it's this uh, sort of um, insubstantial monster that just sort of gloms onto an adventuring party and kind of becomes an unofficial mascot for them. And we'll periodically just snatch someone up and hang on to them and keep them safe for a little while. It's a, it's a monster ex machina. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's in Creature Collection. If you want to add that to your GM's tool belt, just another nifty little thing you can pick up from that also, book. Creature Collection, as of the time of recording, and I think still as of the time of this episode release, is like a buck fifty. Right. Yeah. yeah you can't. Because there aren't any off sale. You can't beat it. So I wanted to just make sure I brought that up. I was I was looking forward to, I think Matthew and I did a wonderful performance of the Dream Shadow. Perhaps one day it will see the light. Um. Maybe I can tack it on as like a like a button at the end of this. Bonus episode, yeah. Or like, well, a, like, a, like, a, like a little like, you know, post-credit, post-credit scene. Yeah. Right, there you go. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes, you know, the best laid plans of, uh, you know, mice and people and, and Hollow Legionnaires. I of Slytherin don't. and Hollow yeah. Legionnaires. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, don't come to, to fruition, so you, you shift gears. But I think um, you mean they aft a gang of glay. Yes. That's uh, like what you mean. Sure, that's exactly what I, I take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, so we shift gears and we adjust. Um, so now we're playing Squeaks in the Deep. So right, mice. yeah. Right, no, I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> of, of, of mice and mice. Right, right. So plants of mice and mice. Um, mice all the way down. So. <laughs> it's just a stack of mice in a trench coat. <laughs> so, uh, forgive me if you hear a little bit of uh, rattly in the background. I have a kitten who's very excited and I'm trying to corral. I will always um, forgive a kitten. It's true. Kittens are the best. It's true. That's fair. So yeah, um, so diving into it, I guess, uh, let's look at the characters that you have in mind for the game. Um, yeah. You know, we had discussed we were going to play in Dead Man's Rust, and we talked a little bit about how um, this adventure is designed to take you from levels 1 to 10. Right. However, uh, it is very much keeps in mind uh, in the introduction a couple of different on-ramps for if you wanted to join at a higher level of, say, you have existing characters in the Scarred Lands you want to dive into, or maybe you're even playing in another uh, fantasy world um, in the most popular and beloved uh, most high world's greatest <laughs> excellent role-playing game. Um, Mother of Dragons. Was, cur- uh, was right. currently in its fifth edition. It's currently in its fifth edition and has just, I believe, as of time of this recording, released a certain uh, setting that would allow for interstellar travel, right? You, so, you know, I just realized we've been doing this joke for a while. I don't think I've actually explained why we do this joke. <laughs> I can explain it because Go I'm the one who has to catch it in text. Yes. Please. Uh, so as per the OGL rules and SRD rules, whatever you want to do with D&D, um, in text, in like published works, you can't say Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you have to say the fifth edition of the, the world's most popular fantasy role-playing game. Right. Uh, which is the actual like text that they give you uh you also can't put uh dm into your text or dungeon master you have to put gm right uh and there are a few monsters that you can't use at all which is why you'll never see a beholder in 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 scarred lands yep. you might see some kind of eye monster 
Right. But it will not be called a beholder. Nope. Right. Uh, so yeah, they they have they have a few specific rules for people who are going to use the OGL uh, for their products, and, but without actually attaching it to the D&D branding. Um, so that is why we had a joke about it, because even just saying the world's most popular fantasy role-playing game is a mouthful. Right. So when you have to start adding things to it, uh, it, it just it, it just becomes kind of a silly joke for us. Uh, like the world's most beloved, most high, uh, uh, ex- exalted fantasy role-playing game in the world and the universe. <laughs> Currently in edition five of 20. Of it's, 20. It's a, <laughs> I think it might be just a vestigial holdover from deed naming from werewolf. Maybe we're just, we're just, we're, we're prone to tacking extra on the end. I would totally play a werewolf named fifth edition. <laughs> I think, I think it's going to be a mage character for me or maybe a Promethean. Oh, there you go. Would be a good fifth edition. Yeah, I can see it. I'm, I'm the fifth edition of this creation. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, so that is, that is why we joke about right. that. It is not like us digging on wizards or on D and D or anything. Yep. It's just that it's a bit of a mouthful whenever you have to actually say it out loud. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't look as bad written down, but thinking out loud, it's like the world's most popular fantasy role-playing game currently in the fifth edition. Okay, okay, that was a lot of words, but okay, here we are. Right, and, and, and to be clear, I mean, you know, uh, we got you, and one of the Gen Con panels talked a little bit about this, is that um, if we're just discussing the concept of Dungeons & Dragons, we could still use the term, like we did just here. Um, the main reason mm-hmm. that it's, it's written this way is that um, in text, it is very hard to tell whether it, the intent is that positioning it as if it were a official D&D supplement. Right. But in speech you can give much more context so we can say you know it's like oh it's it's a book you can use for Dungeons fifth edition um but in text that's harder to to that nuance is sometimes lost and it can come across like oh this is an official wizard's product what's what's the reason why they have that distinction yeah that is why if you uh crack open the crossroads continent in rich's intro which is more of like a letter to the players Mm -hmm. he like i I, I thought it was okay to keep him in saying, like, we used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because right. they did. Yep. Like, he's just telling a story. Right. But then when you get into the rules, you have to fl- like flip it all around. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to um, the reference that Rich makes in the in the Crossroads Continent, for example, doesn't pose any challenge to the trademark of Dungeons and Dragons. Yep, right. Yep, exactly. Whereas if you were to, like, say, this book is for Dungeons and Dragons, you're challenging Watsi's trademark i think is really where most right. of that comes from um but, so, so uh, what i've learned so far is that if you're someone that's to show up to your group the first thing you need to do is get everyone together and talk about trademark law yes about 15 minutes discuss <laughs> the open game license that should ensure no one ever comes back um we're done we're never doing it's this again. super interesting to the four listeners that are interested in, in, in doing their own three of uh, them are on this recording right now that's valid <laughs> I, I matthew will it. love it right yeah <laughs> you're three of the four people who find this interesting <laughs> no um but yeah I, I would recommend by the way just off the cuff if you're going to do anything using the ogl um using you know uh Read, read the OGL. Yeah, read the OGL. Yeah. If you're going to be doing anything with the Solution Vault, make sure that you are following the compatibility of that 100%. You mm-hmm. want to make sure you're following their rules, but also the OGL's rules. So, right. That's all. That um, said, yeah, let's go over our characters. Yes, yes, indeed. So um, I know uh, we had discussed that, uh, Dixie, you're playing in a Sath, and... Um, well, the listeners don't know that, so I'm sure... No, I... 
Absolutely. So I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm just giving it some on ramps. Okay. Uh, we had discussed that you were going to be playing in a South and that Eddie was going to be playing a Hollow Legionnaire, correct? Mm-hmm. Is yes. that accurate? Um, and we had talked about a bit about how Dead Man's Rust, uh, the core sort of inciting action of this campaign is Legionnaire's Rust, this mystical disease that's also a curse that's kind of uh, running through the Hollow Legionnaire population. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had discussed that as a plot element that Eddie, you were going to be cool with uh, beginning the game, starting with that. Is that is that fair to say? Yes. Um, uh, uh, in in episode now lost time, um, we did go through uh, the effects of that. We should probably go through that again, though. Which we're going to as we, we abso- get into the game. We absolutely will dive into it. Okay. <laughs> um, we we will get there. Uh, but, um, but yes, I I have opted into this this plot hook. So I just wanted to get, yeah, I just wanted to cover those few basic bases because I'm sure they will guide some of the questions and uh, discussions that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, we have a number of on ramps. So as we're as we're figuring out who these people are and, and where we want to start with engaging with the story, uh, why don't we start off, um, Dixie? Why don't you tell us uh, who you've built, uh, who you're playing? A um, little bit about them. There uh, any uh, pertinent, I guess, bio, bio details, things about their lives, things along those lines. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I I think Eddie and I decided that we were going to um, be already friends in this version, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as as opposed to trying to contrive a way to get us together as an adventuring group. Because uh, it's just only two of us, so we might as well just be friends. We met in a right? bar. <laughs> yeah, but that was like three years ago, and now we're just adventuring right. buddies. Um, because we are playing at level 10. Travis was cool enough to let us start at level 10, so we get a bunch of nifty widgets. Um, but I am playing an Asathi, who, for those who don't know, they're the second most prominent of the redeemed races. Uh, they're created by Mormo. They were kind of evil and weird and gross, but then they, like, you know, when, when, when Mormo fell, obviously, and got made into a thousand pieces, including cheeks, as we've talked about on panels. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then they were allowed to go kind of do their own thing. So I decided instead of making one of the Scarred Lands uh, specific uh, classes to make a D and D arcane trickster Asathi, because I think it's cool to show that you can pull D and D like base D and D stuff into Scarred Lands if you want to. Um, I did homebrew the Asathi into D and D Beyond, uh, so I get my uh dex and int increased i have resist i have advantage on saving throws against poison and resistance to poison damage because i'm a snake person uh snake people are cool in my opinion people are cool uh i've got some certain weapon proficiencies i have a bite attack uh some dark vision perception i speak asoth and common and i have advantage on saving throws against being charmed because i have a reptilian mind if anybody remembers the video game Primal Rage. <laughs> there was a character in there that I really like, and that's kind of who I based this off of. To the point where when I was talking about it with Eddie last week, I almost went and like bought an action figure off eBay uh, <laughs> because awesome. they because they made action figures of these characters. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so I am a snake person, and then my class is an arcane trickster rogue, which we can go over later. What do you get as a Hollow Legionnaire, Eddie? Um, so as a hollow legionnaire, uh, they are the, uh, 
spirits of heroes who kind of lingered on and get, got bound into suits of armor. Uh, so they're kind of animated armor, except they have a certain amount of free will and incognizance. Uh, so they're basically constructs, right? So, so uh, I'm not a squishy person. I am a construct, effectively, from a mechanical perspective. Uh, so things that don't affect constructs do not affect me. Uh, and also, uh, because I am armor-bound, uh, that's one of the, the, the benefits for the Hall of Legionnaire, um, which means that I, I, I have a suit of armor. I can, only, I can only be bound to one, so I'm proficient in it automatically, which is nice, because that would be awkward if I was Yeah, because you, you are a suit of armor, pretty much. Right. right. Um, I can choose to bond to other suits of armor. I've spent an hour doing that, much like kind of uh, uh, um, assigning or, or being bound to a magic item would be both equivalent. Yeah, like attunement, and you can actually um, Thank you. Uh, you can actually attune magical armor within that same hour. Mm-hmm. So the Hollow Legionnaires aren't mechanically penalized for wearing magic armor. If that oh, makes so sense. so I'm, I'm I, 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 the attunement is rolled into that transfer. Right, exactly. Okay. So if it requires attunement, you attune it at the same time. If it doesn't require attunement, effectively, you're you're uh, attuning even non magical armor is basically what it boils mm-hmm. down to. That's cool. Um, and also, uh, as part of that effect, um, the armor takes on specific kind of markings. So that way, my friends, for example, go, oh, I recognize those markings. That is, you know, Breck. And so I know that that is the, the person I know. If, so even mm. if they look differently, there'll be markings to make each character unique and distinctive. And that also helps with, because uh, a lot of the Hollow Legionnaire armor, technically you only need to have uh, two of your limbs and your torso. Mm-hmm. Uh, covered for the armor to function as a hollow legionnaire oh, uh, nice. so you can wear relatively light armor mm-hmm. um, but a lot of hollow legionnaires don't a lot of them are wearing like full helms and right. full plate and so having those markings uh, helps set aside when you have you know 40 legionnaires that are in identical plate mail armor. so what do you look like if you're not in the armor well the art on um, the player's guide uh, it actually has kind of a Roman-esque armor, so there's, it has the, kind of the, the short mm-hmm, skirt mm-hmm. and the boots. And so it looks like you're kind of the, the, the parts in the middle are kind of a glowing blue ghosty stuff. Uh, yes, and in fact, um, as of the uh, expansion, the revisited rules in Yugman's Guide to Gelspad, um, we've reflected that mechanically. So in the in the Player's Guide uh, to Scarlands, the Howl Legionnaires... Uh, it mentions that they're like bioluminescent, but it doesn't actually have a mechanical weight to it. Mm-hmm. We added a mechanical weight in Yugman's um, where you actually shed dim light and suffer disadvantage uh, on stealth because you are glowing. You are a small torch. I love um, that. Yeah. It's it's nice, too, because you can provide lighting for your friends who don't have dark vision. Just a little flashlight. You're fine. Right. Um, but in my head, I imagine... My character probably looking more towards like um, uh, Alphonse in Full Metal Alchemist or something, where it's just basically just a suit of armor. And then, yeah, but he is also mm. a paladin, uh, so uh, he does have uh, things like laying on hands and uh, channel divinity and all the the fun stuff that comes with being a tenth level paladin. Uh, in <laughs> particular, my channel divinity stuff, uh, I can uh, champion's blessing, um, which gives people a reaction. I can choose reaction to give uh, someone with 30 feet an advantage on the roll. Uh, denounce the unclean, which means that I can uh, um, 
Titan Spawn and uh, Fiends or Undead can uh, make make a Wisdom saving throw or they're incapacitated. Um, and then uh, Aura of Protection, so people in my aura um, can get benefits to their saving throws. Uh, and also, I am an inspiring tactician, uh, so I can uh, people within range of me. I can give them uh, additional d4 to their attack roll. That comes in very handy. And uh, you also have uh, some some auras regarding saving throws, right? Is that the, the yeah, that's aura protection. protection? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and also um, aura of courage, uh, so people within that same aura also can't be frightened. Right. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. And which oath is that from? Oath of Iron. Oath of Iron. Okay. Yeah, and that's uh, another cool thing about the the Scarlands Paladins, um, and this dovetails nicely into uh, what I wanted to talk about a little bit with Dixie's character, uh, which is that in the Scarlands Player's Guide, it presents uh, there are new Paladin oaths, but there mm -hmm. are also some guidelines as to what existing oaths certain um, Paladin orders in the Scarlands might adhere to. So it sort of maps those to the existing D and D oaths, which is nice. Yeah, uh, you're not you don't have to reproduce any of those systems. You can just say if you want to, you know, play this type of paladin, this these oaths might be right for you. Um, but we also do introduce a couple new oaths, and there's also one new oath in Yugman's Guide, though it's a weird paladin oath. It's it's bizarre. Um, <laughs> it's not your typical paladin, I guess I might say. It's almost closer to an anti paladin. Oh, nice. Uh, but Dixie, um, you had uh, talked about you had selected the Arcane Trickster. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, what was your, I guess, what, what drew you to the Arcane Trickster? Um, I've always liked the idea of a class that mixes casting with just regular DPS. Mm. Um, I, I think that's fun. Uh, I, based on our previous party, I was already going to make some kind of frontline fighter. Or at least, you know, from the Shadows Fighter. Uh, because in our original party, we had a couple of casters and a paladin. And I was right. like, well, let's have one more person who can hit things with swords, right? Right. Um, but I like the idea of being able to do both. Also, my character's background is the criminal spy background. Um, nice. Because I'm making her like a weird underworld type character. Um, and so she has since given up that, that, that life, but still has the contacts and everything, obviously. And I like the idea of fighting someone who you think is just like, you know, a regular like fighter with scimitars. And then suddenly they're like, green flame blade, toll the dead, bah, charm person, whatever. Nice. Uh, because I, I like that kind of utility. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of the spells I chose are, are about being like sneaky or manipulative. So as... Aside from having Firebolt as a cantrip, because that's a good cantrip to have, I have things like Message, where I can talk to people in their heads. I have Absorb Elements, where if somebody, you know, shoots a Firebolt at me, I can be like, ha I've absorbed it. And nice. then I have the uh, Charm Potion, Hideous Laughter, and Sleep. I have Misty Step and Shadow Blade. Ooh, nice. Um, so all of those are really fun for, like, a, a, a rogue character. Um... And I thought they all kind of fit with with how I wanted to play her, which is, you know, she's she's given up her major life of crime, but she's still a little creepy. I, I dig it. A um, couple things that that brings to mind that I want to bring up. One, I think it's very cool that you chose Arcane Trickster. Um, 
uh, it gives me, uh, first of all, they're just a fun class, but also it gives me yeah. a bit of an opportunity to talk about um, how in Scarredlands, uh, in some of the supplemental material, we have a few classes, a few subclasses that are tied very tightly to the setting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, a, a class that might be an analog to the Arcane Trickster, uh, there's a subclass called Master of the Scaled, which is a cast, a caster rogue. Um, now in the, so there's a couple different ways that you can sort of approach this, right? Right. In the text of the subclass, they're tied very directly to an organization called the Scaled, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to play a character that is plugged into that environment, they have certain abilities and things that, uh, that draw from, uh, from that connection. Um, mm -hmm. but that's not to say that if you're playing a character who has that, that, uh, spellcaster thief kind of crossover that you have to be part of the scale. Right. So there's plenty of room for your, your arcane tricksters that are not tied to that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so those totally. are options that people can explore as they're, as they're experimenting with the scarred lands and diving in, you can say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be this, uh, this traditional, uh, member of a, of a class that might hew close to some of the things that's from a scarred land specific class, but you're not, uh, weighing yourself down, I guess, as a new player with mm -hmm. that connection to the deeper lore, if that makes sense. But yeah. That's you can always add it in it. later, or if you exactly. want to put it on there, you can totally. Exactly. So, uh, it's a cool thing. I, just a, a nice feature, I think, to showcase. Um, the other thing I want to bring to your attention, Dixie, because um, I tend to run Hideous Laughter a certain way. So okay. since we are having a, a, a Session Zero discussion, it uh, feels like it might as well be an important place to bring it up. Mm -hmm. To my mind, Hideous Laughter is one of the cruelest things you can do to a person. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just I tend to frame it that way when you cast it on someone. Um, and if you want me to dial that back, I can. My character is chaotic neutral. You can do whatever right. you want. But yeah, the idea of like you're in the middle of like a life or death battle with somebody and now not of your own volition, you just start having a absolute uncontrollable fit of laughter. That sounds horrifying to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, like my my character is maybe not a good person. Like maybe she's trying to be better. But That's fine. It's just it, one a, of the things. With a criminal spy background and everything, like I think maybe her her morals are a bit off. Maybe, maybe Eddie's character is trying to help redeem her even more because well, she's like, she's like, well, I got away from Mormo. So clearly I'm fine now. And, right. <laughs> and, and Eddie's character is still like, that's not nice. Well, I was, I was, I was actually just, I mentioned Lever doing this because I was, I had kind of envisioned him being more lawful and neutral um, because he is a dead soldier. And on some level, a lot of his powers are around ultimately making sure that the soldiers come home Right. So I think he's not good so much as he cares about the people under who he believes to be his command. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the uh, there's a chance that he could slide to like the boys level of I will do whatever it takes. You know. Oh no. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, he's not there, but he quit. Uh, so I feel like um, there's a bit of your character maybe pulling mine towards here's the reality of you know the world that's not in regimented lines. Yeah. Um, and my character kind of pulling you towards sometimes you have to fight for what you believe in, even if yeah. you, even if it puts you into awkward situations. Yeah, totally. I can I can play mine a little more cynical. She can mm -hmm. be a little bit more like you know world weary, especially well, you know living in the scarred lands. 
Right. I was going to say, and that that brings us into some interesting things about the the broader world. Um, but I do want to just make mention before I move to that. Um, as I think on it, I really think that anybody who's running 5e should include just a general discussion of enchantment magic in their section zero. Um, mm, okay. Just because it is like, in many ways, a lot of those spells are, are directly about violating the target's consent. I mean, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that's a discussion to have. Yeah, it's like when you run Dementation and Vampire. Right. Like right. you need yeah. to like have a conversation about it. Yeah, yeah, just, that's true, because the whole point of them is to remove agency from a character. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, definitely have a, a talk about it. And it doesn't have to be like a big... You probably could spend less time than I just spent telling you you should have a talk about it, having that talk. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> um, I, 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 I mean, let's, let's talk about Veils and Lines, right? It's actually a good thing right. session zero. Um, as long as my character is not being forced to do things that are ultimately an ism of some kind, like forcing me to be uh, a racist or to right. mm -hmm. objectify yeah. people or whatnot. Um, or if after that happens, I'm able to then punch the people who did that to me, that otherwise I'm fine. Okay, like I fair. recognize that in this kind of action adventure, there's going to be the stuff like um, kill your friends kind of evil magic that happens. Right, and so I'm okay with a certain amount of that, but as long as, it's, again, I'm not, I'm not forced to like you know, you you will subjugate your, you will subjugate all of your friends and do horrible things to them, and it's like eh, maybe not. Uh, yeah, whereas I'm very against loss of player agency for myself personally. Sure, and that's just because I want to play the fucking game. Right, like, I have I I have always been that way when it comes to games where I'm like, don't take away my ability to do stuff. I want to do stuff. Like I want to you know make decisions and roll dice and things mm -hmm. um so i i am not a fan of that for player characters How, however you know once again with things like my character being maybe just two notches above a some kind of evil alignment <laughs> right um i think that she might cause like like she might cast hideous laughter right and, and not have it affect her and it's very different uh from a safety perspective very different between what's happening to me as a player as a person and what's happening to the NPC. Yeah, um, exactly. Who I'm not in control of. No, that makes total sense. And um, and and that's something, I guess, since we're on that specific topic uh, that I want to address kind of just in the broader sense. Um, you know, there are some elements in Scarred Lands that are uh, relatively common in the world um, mm -hmm. that, are, that can be relatively uh, difficult topics to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a number of nations in, on Gelspad that still have some form of slavery in practice. Uh, that is very much presented in the setting as those are people you go punch and, yep. and right. help and help the people that they are subjugating. I am all about having said that, that is a, an element that's present in the setting. Um, the main villains in Dead Man's Rust, uh, the necromancers of Glibidatel, are terrible people. <laughs> um, so it might be worth having a discussion if you're going to sit down and play Rust having a discussion with your players about how much those elements are going to come into play and how comfortable they are with dealing with them um, I don't suspect unless we unless you are, you two are passionate about starting the game the session in Glividotel like maybe trying to do something inside that city to upset their apple cart we probably won't touch on that aspect mm, yeah, too much no. Um, just given that this is a very there. limited scope of play, right. um, I, I'm willing to, uh, um, 
in these kinds of games, you know, there's usually a lot of discussion. Like, the players want and what the game master wants to do, and there's usually kind of a back and forth kind of in that state. Given the fact that we're doing, again, for, for a podcast, we're doing extremely limited scope, um, I'm willing to give up a certain amount of, this is now the thing you're doing. Sure. Uh, but given the conceit of Dead Man's Rust, which is that there is this disease that specifically affects Hallucinators, I feel like there's already a built-in plot hook, right? Like, right. I am sick. My friend wants to help me get better. We are now in a place where we can start to figure out what that is. Right. Whenever I fill out a consent form for a game, which you really should do if you're running a game, I think they're really helpful. Mm-hmm. Not, as, as I always say, not only in knowing what you shouldn't do, but also what you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I look at consent forms as permission slips. Yeah, because if nobody 100%. puts creepy giant bugs on there, then there's going to be creepy giant bugs, you know. Oh yeah, right. Um, and, or, if, and if and if everyone's like, "I'm cool with body horror," I'm like, "Excellent." Going to lead into that. And and to that end, you know, one of the tools that I use uh, generally on streaming um, is are yes goes and no goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll I'll ask everyone, you know, what are your yes goes? Which are what are the things that I want to make sure we see happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the no-goes, which are the things that I want to make sure we do not see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my my general, like, standard uh, every episode, the way I lead off when I'm explaining those is, like, my yes-go is gore. I'm a gore hound. I love to have depictions of gore. Mm-hmm. Um, my no-go is SA. I just don't include that in my games. So yeah, I same. reason to, right? Um, so sorry, what was that? SA is my is my SA? No-go. Sexual assault. Yeah, sexual assault. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was not catching the so, acronym there. It's okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, but yeah I just, it's, it's not the kind of thing that needs to be depicted in the game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I am, like, I, I, I always, like, put on, on, on a consent form, which is what I was going to say a minute ago, and then we got sidetracked. Uh, I have ADHD, folks. Hi. <laughs> um, is that I, I always put, like, yellow for all of the isms. And then at the bottom, when they're like, do you have any extra notes? I'm like, I'm cool with these if I get to punch the people doing them in the face. I'm not cool with these if a PC is doing them. Or right. if you are trying to make them okay. But if, right. like, you want to have, you know, somebody, like, in a modern day game, if 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 you want me to punch a Nazi, I'll punch a Nazi. Um, I am down with that. Right. But if you have a Nazi in the game and you're like, no, you can't punch them, then I'm not cool with that at all. <laughs> And I think um, it, it's it's good to have the conversation because, like, it, it seems like uh, consent forms like get a bad rap specifically around horror games or horror adjacent games like Scarlands, uh, because there is this this belief, which is completely false, that it somehow dilutes the horror. It's like, well, I can't scare people, and that's not true at all. What it's saying is. Not only just don't scare me in these specific ways, but everything else is fine. Well, yeah, because as as I've said in conversations on on this very podcast, like you want to scare people, you don't want to disgust them, right? You don't, you want, don't want to, want to them, yeah. like traumatize them, uh-huh. right? Right. And uh, like you can get scared without being traumatized. That's really the sweet spot of being scared, right? Well, and the thing that I think that people maybe miss in the conversation is when you're watching a horror film, you have a remote control. When you're reading a horror novel, you can close that book. If you go to a movie theater to see a horror movie, you do have the option to get up and walk away from right. that if the, if the screen gets. All you're giving when you're doing a consent form is you're, you're, you're telling everybody, it's okay to hit the pause button. It's okay to close the book. It's okay mm-hmm. to step, step up and walk out of the theater if you need to, and you don't have to go to that extreme. All you have to do is say, hey, I need to close the book for a second. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't read this part. It's really no different than that, right? Yep. And 
again, it just seems so fundamental to me. Like the point we're of, of us getting together is to have fun. Make a situation where people can have fun. You know? Right. But, but I feel like sometimes uh, uh, the reverse is also too much because like, you know, we talk about the fact that Scarlands has slavery in it. It's like, you need to have bad things to work against. And if the world doesn't have horrible things to fight, then you start to get, why are we even doing this? You know? Right. Uh, uh, otherwise, the, the evil characters become just kind of cartoonish. Um, well, that's the reason why in Vampire the Masquerade, there are characters who are racist, who are uh, white supremacists, whatnot. But they're not meant to be, generally speaking, presented as people that you want to play. Right. They're right, people they're... that you want to work against. Like, yeah, of course, the, the, the sheriff is a white supremacist asshole. Well, you probably want to kill the sheriff and replace with somebody else. That, 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 now you have a goal. Now you have a, a thing to do. Right. They're the villains, and that's the, and that's the tone of the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, you know, like just an example, when I ran uh, the showcase for um, Cyclops' Cave during the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. our villain was a guy named, like, Skullface. <laughs> who lived on Serpent Mountain right? and had nefarious plots to make the players very uncomfortable. Right. You know, <laughs> like, you can do that level too, but that was obviously a very to- different tone we were going for. Right. It's totally think... not at all inspired by any kind of cartoon from the 80s. I have no idea what you're talking about, Mr. <laughs> Webb. <laughs> yeah. Not 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 quite as good as Rose Bailey's, but very no, close. Nobody Skeletor is as good as Rose Bailey's. No, Rose, Rose is the best Skeletor. Absolutely does. Well, I hope I hope that one day I have an opportunity to Skeletor off with Rose. <laughs> uh, anyway, where I was going with all of that, um, we, again, digression, but it was a good digression. Again, for a, a Section Zero, I think it's good to kind of have these talks because it's good to kind of know where he's at. Um, but... For me, it's the I'm okay with a certain amount. Like Dixie like said, I'm okay with a certain amount of ism if it's anything that we can assault or deal with. Right. Um, especially given my character's a paladin, it feels like I almost need that to a certain degree if I were playing this character long term because otherwise it doesn't really make sense to be a paladin if there's not objectively evil stuff to overcome. Exactly. Yep. Um, and diving into the setting specifics... Um, have you given any thought, I guess, um, Eddie, paladins in 5th edition are not necessarily um, tied to a, a god or a deity or a, or a faith so much as the strength of their oath. Um, right. It way I understand it is that um, you pledge yourself to something. It could also be a god. Uh, but otherwise you pledge yourself to something, a concept, a a, a nation or whatever. And that is, that is what takes the place of the, the God link in other deity settings. And that's where you draw your power from. And, uh, in the scarred lands in particular, uh, the deities have a very strong hands on presence. Um, so a lot, it's more, you're more inclined to not only see, um, like a paladin specifically tied to a deity, but even people who have no um, spell casting connection to it uh, still, and are not actual members of any church per se may still have a patron deity, a deity that they revere over the others. Right. Um, however, the average person on the street in the scarred lands is probably more of a polytheist. They probably pl- Pray to to Neil when they're going out, you know, hunting, and you know they pray to Chardoon before a fight, and they 
um, you know, create a vangle before a hopeless fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way I have always envisioned it, uh, uh, paladins and politics society is like, just because you have a best friend doesn't mean you don't have other friends. Right. Exactly. And yeah. to that end, I guess, Eddie, how familiar are you with Scarlet's Pantheon and have you given any thought to, uh, if your character has a relationship with any of those gods and if so, what so I'm a little familiar, uh, with it. Um, uh, how I kind of envisioned uh, them was that uh, Breck, because they've died and come back, uh, uh, that believing in gods is now a bit of a mugs game. Uh, because it's like, okay, so I believed in the god and they died, and now I'm still here dealing with this shit. Uh, so clearly that didn't go well for me. Uh, but, you know, I still have the Order of Iron, so it's like I, I believe in... Uh, uh, fighting, particularly Titan Spawn, but uh, the text says all Titan Spawn. I, I think it kind of slides towards non-redeemed Titan Spawn. I think it seems um, like a valid. Well, and this is a, you bring up an interesting point, and this is an interesting distinction that I think um, maybe sometimes gets missed when people are looking at the, at the world of the Scarred Lands. Mm -hmm. So this distinction, there are two separate distinctions. There's this, the system distinction of whether or not a creature is considered titan spawn and then there's the cultural distinction of whether or not a creature is considered titan spawn. okay okay so unless it specifically is referring to a mechanical benefit uh you assume the cultural distinction got it and the, the cultural, cultural okay. distinction is non-redeemed right so yeah so effectively um and again, it gets a little, this might get a little confusing at a glance because, um, but when you think about it, it's, it's when, when you look into it, it's really not. Uh, for example, with Asathi, you have redeemed and unredeemed. Mm -hmm. With Slytherin, you have redeemed, I'm redeemed. and unredeemed. Yeah. Uh, with the Ironbread, you have Ironbread and Sutek. And that comes from the very cultural speci specificity of the Ironbread that they rejected their culture with such ferocity that now, when they meet someone who is not a known member, who they suspect might be a Sutak, their standard greeting is basically, to your knees, denounce the Titans, or die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and once we know you're Ironbred, you're fine. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. But they're not going to walk around calling themselves redeemed Sutak, right? right. Uh, call, calling an Ironbred a Sutak is a good way to get into a, 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 a blood feud with someone. You know, <laughs> It's a good way to get punched. Uh, they don't. They they distance themselves much more aggressively than say orcs have from their titans right. cousins. Mm -hmm. um, so there's my little uh, civics lesson for for the day. That's good to know. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but so so kind of where I was going was um, uh, I, I feel like uh, he has a relationship with Corian because uh, that's the god of of honor, duty, bravery, physical prowess, and is pretty commonly the god most associated with with paladins. So I don't see a reason to keep with that. But I feel like his relationship with Corian is probably a little closer to like Conan's relationship with Krom, which okay. is that I recognize this is a powerful force in my life and I draw upon it, but also I kind of think he's a bastard and I swear at him a lot. <laughs> I like that. That's fair. Absolutely fair. And um, just uh, again, to tie in some more of the backdrop, Corian is sort of the patron deity of, of the Gleaming Valley. Uh, he's mm -hmm. the most commonly revered deity there, mm -hmm. uh, so that makes sense. You probably have what's considered a uh, slightly unorthodox opinion. Uh, some sure. of your fellow Hall Legionnaires might 
question it. There might even be some who uh, downright uh, find your ideas heretical or offensive. Uh, interestingly enough, you probably find the most um, camaraderie in that viewpoint with the uh, with the Hollow Knights, who are the mm-hmm. original servants of Corian and who are sort of the parents of the Hollow Legion. The I thought Hollow Knights were tiny bug people who lived underground. <laughs> Elsewhere, if you are in another <laughs> world, yes. But in this world, the Hollow Knights are uh, the um, original paladins of Corian during the Divine War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corian crafted them these magic-resistant, uh, sort of super uh, powerful suits of plate armor and then infused their souls into them hmm. and uh, had them fight at his side as, the, as his undefeatable army. And they're, they're pretty rough. If you look at them in the creature collection, for example, they're immune to spells of sixth level or lower. Oh. They just don't get affected by them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really, really buff. And so they were such good fighters that Vangel, the god of destruction, became jealous of their prowess in the battlefield. So he went to the place where their bodies were enshrined while they were off being Hollow Knights and desecrated them so Corian couldn't uh, resurrect them after the Divine War. Because Vangel's a prick. So um, <laughs> Good to know. Uh, So now they're stuck as the Hollow Legionnaires and, and the Gleaming Valley was kind of their gift uh, for their service because Corian couldn't give them their bodies and their families back. So there's a little bit of Scarlet history. Well, it's actually cool. Um, then I, I think it gives me a better context for it because, like, I don't like he's not going to be spouting this in front of people's faces. It's more kind of an internal challenge of faith because I personally find when I'm playing people of faith in fantasy games that blind devotion is boring. Having Quite. some kind of interesting relationship with your patron god is is more interesting to me. Uh, so I always try to put in some kind of, of, of complex, some kind of edge to where if pushed hard enough, maybe there's a lapse of faith that, that occur or reimagining Yeah. I also find it interesting when you talk about faith in a game where like gods are literally real mm-hmm. and you like know they're real and they've been real. Um, that's always fascinating to me because in like, in like Scion, for example, right? It would be really weird to not have any faith in Scion. Right. But also it would be really weird to have like, blind devotion in Scion because like there's other gods just around well and, and this... I, I like feel that way when we talk about like any like D setting yeah. there's usually gods that like are are, are provably in existence like they are right. there uh so it's kind of hard to deny them when your power comes from them sometimes well and it, it it brings up an interesting there's sort of the uh theism versus gnosticism axis i don't know if you're familiar with that but uh the idea that you can be a very atheistic uh, character in a um, in a fantasy setting, it's very challenging to be uh, uh, agnostic or a gnostic theist, uh, atheist, somebody who knows there's no gods. Well, you, right. you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, like, sure, you're right over there. Uh, you can be very anti-religion. You can be like, I think the gods oh, sure. are all idiots. <laughs> you know, right. but but it's very difficult to deny their existence. Also, it's it's not nice to be anti-religious. Just let let people live. Um, right, let people do their thing. Right, uh, but but I think there's a difference between like saying I recognize that Zeus exists, but also I know that Zeus is an asshole. Right, exactly. Um, and, and I guess that dovetails. Then Dixie, I wanted to ask you, what is your character's relationship with divinity, uh, if any? I actually did my research on this, and she has a demigod. 
Oh, beautiful. And, uh, she worship, worships Drendari. I love the demigods, and I especially love Drendari. Drendari uh, is probably my second favorite demigod. Yeah, so Drendari is a chaotic neutral demigod uh, whose domains are chaos, charm, darkness, and trickery. Her holy symbol is the silhouette of a human hand, which looks a lot like the uh, assassin symbol from Skyrim, which makes me happy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's she's pretty freaking great. Um, she's a patron of rogues, thieves, and spies, so that makes sense. And her faithful, including myself, and as shadow walkers, uh, try to hunt down and destroy any followers that of of, of the, the Slerisians that are found. Um, the shadow walkers are really cool too. They're kind of into like espionage and shadow magic and information gathering, and they're essentially trying to destroy wizards who practice stolen shadow magic. Uh, yep. But also they just want to seek out knowledge and information. Uh, so that's that's what my character's background is and her spying and thieving and stuff is that she is a Drendari worshiper. That Are you trying to find a vault cool. full of story scenes? I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ex- precisely. But, but yeah, so like you, you had mentioned, I think it was called the uh, scale earlier. And it's like it's like it's like oh, that yes. it's like yeah. that's cool, but I'm a shadow walker. Right, exactly. And and I and I dig that very much. And I, I love that you did that research. I love that you picked Drindari. That is all super cool. Like I said, one of my favorite deities. And uh interesting fact about Drindari. Um Drindari followers were effectively the messengers who won the Divine War. Mm-hmm. Um it was because of Drindari's ability to uh allow her followers to be sneaky basically, that they were able to get communications between the gods yeah. um, without the Titans being in on it. So there's a little feather for your cap, a little, little uh, fun factoid that you can know is your your goddess was instrumental in winning the Divine War. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I don't know why she's a little demigoddess. You should elevate her. She's pretty great. <laughs> uh, it's It all comes down to, um, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing to... Uh, to wrap your head around because right now it comes down to parentage for the most part mm-hmm. yeah god gods have two titan parents everybody else is a demigod yeah because she's a daughter of Inkili and a siren i do believe i should say more than two or more titan parents for gods yeah vangle's got three parents. also gods gods are weird gods gods, gods whatever they want yeah. uh but but yes, I am I am a fan of of this this goddess. I like I like having a a goddess of shadow and chaos, but also charm, which makes me very happy that she's kind of like like she really is a mix of Inkili, who's the god of chaos in Scarlands, mm. and her siren mother. Yeah, very much so, very much so. So my character um, has like really decent charisma skills, but also really decent punch you in the face skills. I like it, and uh, another. Factoid, and I guess question for how we talked a little bit about how uh, Eddie's character relates to the overall uh, society in the Gleaming Valley. But uh, one of the things about the Asathi that I think is interesting um, and that maybe you might want to think about or if you have thought about, it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is that the Asathi currently are redeemed and spent a significant portion of time as uh, Titan worshippers. But for a long period of time, were the dominant species on Gelspad. Like the Asathi Empire covered Gelspad for, at one point, and there mm-hmm. are still ruins of that empire. So if you think about um, from a cultural perspective, uh, the Asathi have this relationship where at one point they were the top of the food chain, 
mm-hmm. you know, socially, as it were. Um, and now they've very much sort of fallen from that grace. So how how does your character re- relate to that, if at all? Is that something that your character thinks about? Is it something your character's aware of? Or is that just not, is that ancient history not particularly pertinent to your character? At this point? I would think that she's aware of it to the point where when she is information gathering or going through ruins and things, she's particularly interested in things okay. that would relate to uh, a, a, a Sopi culture. But overall, I think she's more interested in her Shadow Walker stuff and what she's doing. Okay. Like she's cool. like she's like, I'm not a historian. I'm just here to, you know. I'm not a historian, but that's neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of a more thing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Uh I love it. And I think that that's uh a cool thing. Uh I, I think any sort of interaction that you have with that can can be played cool, but I I do think it's neat in a fantasy setting where um when you have those kinds of relationships too, where it's like, oh, that's a cool curiosity about my character's past, but it's not something that like I'm gonna hinge my it's. It, I think it's a little too easy in fantasy sometimes to hinge your whole character on one little factoid. Right. Um, so I think that's very cool that uh, to have that sort of, uh, I guess, what am I looking for? Range in interest there. That's neat. Um, yeah. Also, I, I, I like making a character who's just interested in pursuing knowledge and information in general um, because that's a really good just forward motivation. Like, what, what's behind that door? Right, you're not going to you're not going to run out of knowledge to acquire. Exactly. Uh, it's it's one of the things when you make if you make characters like hung, hung on vengeance, for example, it's a nice it's a it's a good starter, um, but you know it's you you wind up in that position that uh, Inigo Montoya was in at the end of Princess Bride. You know, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. I like it. Um, so. Uh, what I'm seeing here is we've got a couple characters. Uh, we've got the one is infected, so we're probably going to do something story-wise that deals with you know the, the looking for the cure aspects of it, the mm-hmm. um, the treatment aspects of it. You're both going to be tenth level because um, that's what we created the characters at, and I think it's fine. There's plenty of end game level content in Dead Man's Rest. Um, and it is designed very much to also have things that carry you beyond. So you don't necessarily like, you don't just beat the big bad and then, oh, book's done. There's like so many different uh, side quests and things along those lines. Oh, cool. So I guess what's the... Uh, right, exactly. So I guess um, what sort of focus would you all like to see? Do you want to do an adventure that's uh, going to be a little bit more intrigue, fact-finding, investigation with some combat in it? Or do you want to do something that's more, um, you know, sort of uh, dungeon crawly, grindy uh, sort of a, a, a situation for the for the one shot? What are you What are you seeing? I like a combination usually of like puzzly things and stealthy things and fighty things. Um, I definitely want to do at least a, a couple of combats because I want to play with the arcane trickster. Sure. Um, but also, I am down with being like, we are exploring this thing to try to find a cure for my friend, you know? Like, okay. we can just do it, like, you know, kind of kind of a mixture. What about you, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, I'll say, like, given, the, again, the, the time constraints we have, and this is me, to a degree, putting on my game center hat and having written scenarios in this time frame, um, there's a pretty kind of natural, there is a role play slash puzzle scene to find 
the location where the, the thing we want is, and then there's someone there who wants to stop us from getting it, so a fight won't actually break out. Um, so there's kind of a, I think there's kind of an even half there. Um, but to Dixie's point, uh, part of the, the reason we're doing this is to, to again, to try, try to play with the, the toys in our sheet, to be perfectly blunt. Um, sure. So if we have to cut down the, the role play and puzzling to get a little more of the using the cool sheet on my sheet area, I'm okay with that. Well, I think what I'm going to do then, and uh, please feel free to correct me if this is, uh, if this sounds too far afield and we can just cut it out and I won't do it. Uh, but I'm going to do a little bit of a magician's trick here where I'm going to just oh, no. flat out tell you all what we're going to do. Um, okay. I think we'll do, uh, or flat out, I guess, tell the audience what we're going to do. I think the best way to cover all those bases is to use the tried and true five room dungeon design. Okay. Effectively. Okay. Right. So, uh, you have your, you know, your intro room, you have your puzzle, you have your combat, you have your setback, and then you have the prize. Um, oh, yeah, so I think structure, but with geography. Yeah. I right. Exactly. So I think that's kind of what I'm going to design off of. Okay. Uh, and there are some, uh, there are a number of hooks in dead man's rust that lend themselves to a five room dungeon, but we did that on purpose. Um, because it's a common design, it's an easy way to um, fill a night. And, you know, you just go off, you you take this hook, and then the GM builds a five-roomer off of it, and then you go. So um, I think that's what we'll, we'll do. And that'll give us a chance then to focus on those different play styles. Um, and I'll still have a narrative thread to go on either side of it. So I think that's me. enough to make me dangerous, unless anyone has any objections to it. Yeah, no, we'd like a little prologue and then just roll right into it. Yeah, cool. All right, I dig it. Um, does anyone have any questions, comments, complaints, or concerns about the overall story, about the session zero? Are there any aspects of a session zero that you feel that we haven't covered yet or any other things that you'd like to touch base on, I guess, while, while we're all here? Uh, the only thing I can think of um, is that uh, Dixie mentions that um, she has made her character in D&D Beyond. Uh, uh, full disclosure, Travis to be my character. He's made it in Roll20. We're going to be using uh, Roll20 as our ways of, of keeping ourselves self-organized. Right. Um, so we're going to try to be as clear as possible when we're talking about our actions. Uh, so that way, because this is pure audio that you understand the context of what's going on. Um, but because we're we two different platforms and there's a VTT involved, uh, there's a small chance that um, we may have to cut some stuff out or um, uh, we, there may be some, some awkwardness as we kind of navigate through the, 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 the challenges of that. Um, so if, 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 if there's like a, a shortcut where like, you know, hey, let me look up real quick and then we give you the answer or whatever, um, you're not missing anything useful, very likely. Yeah. Right. And full disclosure, I am still, um, of all the VTTs that I interact with on a regular basis, Roll20 is the one I am the least skilled with. So poor Dixie's probably going to have to cut a little bit of me uh, fiddling around with it. Um, but I will do my best to keep that to a it's all good. necessary right. minimum. It, it's more um, that um, just... Uh, and it's really, I think, just for me and Dixie to be aware of is that um, it's so easy to kind of go, oh, I'll just go here or, hey, go to where I'm clicking. Um, I think we need to be right. clear. It's like, hey, I'm going to go around the corner or, hey, meet me at the, the stone intersection of the two uh, roads. And I'll, I'll try to do my best to do a little bit more narrative flourish than I might normally do okay. while then, you know. While we're all None of this is stuff that the audience needs to hear. That's all valid points. <laughs> this we're is giving all stuff them, we could talk about we're, elsewhere. We're, we're giving them the you, 
hey, this is full. This is full. Full transparency. This is (laughs) make your own podcast. I've I've gone. I've gone full Kaufman. Well, I mean, Um, (laughs) while we are talking about the specific logistics of a podcast, I do think. In the current gaming environment, it is still useful to have these kinds of tool-based conversations through Session Zero of like, here's how we're going to conduct ourselves. Here's how we as players and we as Game Master are going to present things because a lot of times you can't just ubiquitously assume you're going to be around a table, right? Right. Um, there's, there may be digital tools involved, like you know, doing things like, are you going to allow people to check their phones during the course of the game? Some people really don't like that. Other people really need that. Some people have their prefer to have their character sheet on the phone now with tools like D&D Beyond. Right. Um, so having those kinds of table rules conversations, here's how we're going to kind of conduct ourselves during it, even though, again, that specific example was unique to the Pathcast. I still think it's good to have those kinds of conversations in Session Zeros. And it is a good thing to keep in mind. Um, if you're playing with people who... Um, if you're playing in, with using a new tool, if you're playing um, maybe with people that are accessing a tool differently than you are, um, sometimes I'll be running just even a home game where, um, for whatever reason, somebody can't log on to roll 20 or whatever VTT we're using. So, uh, I have to, so I, I become aware of that and start having to describe to them like where they're at, things like that. So these are all, these are all useful things to, to dis, to discuss if you're running a game. You know, right. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're running on Discord and someone's camera doesn't work, um, you have to be a little more kind of clear in your voice because you don't have facial expressions to, to carry your, your role play or whatever. Stuff like that. So that's all. Just just a, a little little something for the audience to put in their cap. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully that's helpful as you're running games out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think we've covered everything. How about you, Dixie? No, I think we're good. So, Travis, you want to find you, follow you, talk to you about the game. Where can they do so? I am everywhere on the internet at Travis Leg L E G G E, except on uh, Twitch, where I'm at Plastic Age and often found or at Plastic Age plays. Ooh, and often found in uh, the Onyx Paths Twitch channel. Eddie? You can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find my website at Pugsteady.com. Or you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord, where these days I'm just kind of talking about Aether. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's going on right now, really. Yeah, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Dixie Cyanide. I hang out in the Onyx Path Discord fairly often. We do have the Trinity Continuum Aether Kickstarter going on right now, which I will link in the show notes. Um, that's going on for another uh, about a week, a little less than a week at the time of this episode dropping. Uh, you can find us everywhere at the Onyx Path. And as always, many worlds, one path. Beautiful. And as you're celebrating this, as if summoned from the chaos itself, your own shadow begins dancing up your body. Oh, that, um, that's ex- exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to be spreading out and surrounding you as your companions look on in horror and you are subsumed by a creature. Um, let's get everyone to go ahead and make a uh, history or um, arcana or survival check. Uh, see if you can figure out what's happening. Um, all right, so that's one. That's added option one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we want to carry on, though, uh, um, so we're on to the next round. So right, yeah. So we would assume um, 
I'm going to guess your guardian. I just want to check in. There's a couple things that are going to have like battlefield effects. So I want to check real quick. Mm -hmm. I bet that guardian of faith goes down the first round. Um, so you could, well, you could then recast it if you have this. Spell no, no, I, uh, I have a plan for my second spell, which is from the Scarred Lands Player's Guide. And then I will be whisked away no matter what. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, guardian of faith. Uh, I hate that I have to do math to figure all this out because somebody will bust me if I'm wrong. Um, 20 rating on a failed or half as much on a success. So the uh, skeletons will take 10. And it's just going to be the ones that are in the... Oh, yeah, they're dumb creatures, aren't they? They'll yeah. just keep striding up to it to get hit again. Yep. It's just the ones in the front row, though. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, what was your, uh, while I'm working this in, what was your uh, second? Uh, I'll be casting round mana, plan. I'll be casting mana sphere. Oh, that's my, uh, one of my favorite spells. And right. then I can get sucked away into the shadows. Excellent. Um, and we've already got the audio for that. So um, <laughs> then I guess we're in good shape. So um, yeah, uh, on the second round, uh, it, comes around to Rassiter. Rassiter, uh, you can see you've done dealt a great deal of damage uh, with your Guardian of Faith. It has certainly whittled a chunk of them down, but they are not yet out, and it has certainly exhausted its total of 60 points of damage it can deal. Oh, uh, certainly. Are there yeah. any creatures in there that I can obviously identify as spellcasters absolutely there are two of them um you can see them they they basically have half cover right now because mm -hmm. uh if you can see where i'm pinging on the roll 20 oh know. yeah um <laughs> if you can see clear those, as day it's crystal crystal clear absolutely those two uh uh, Asathi are the two spellcasters. Uh, I'm not going to tell my companions this, but I've never, never had much time for snakes. Mormo is always taking the titans' glory. <laughs> uh, I'm going to cast a or conjure into being a mana spear. Excellent. Uh, one of uh, the Madrielites' favorite spells. I, I mean, I'm not one of them, but still, I'm still going to use it because hell, I'll I'll steal anything if it's if they're giving that shit away. That is also one of the GM's favorite spells. So you're uh, you're doubly pleasing to the gods. Mm. And uh, as I wander around with a spear, despite my uh, my my class uh, i am going to launch it because contrary to what some people think you can throw a spear it's just very difficult if it's not magic so i should have been really called mana javelin i think eddie would agree but let, anyway anyway uh we uh it's got a 150 foot range oh. i'm pretty confident i'm going to be able to hit them even if they're hiding off the map so let's launch it. It's a ranged spell attack. Excellent. So I'm going to make a roll now and uh, see how I do. I'll go for the I'll go for the prettiest looking Asafi. Excellent, excellent. You okay. uh, you focus and you lock eyes for just a moment and like Dreamweaver starts playing and this <laughs> and then That's... followed up with a mana spear through the <laughs> right. through the like, eye like a record scratch. 
All right, then. So let's go for it. I uh, Oh, that's a very good roll. Uh, so it's a ranged spell attack. I rolled a 22. Oh, so... that will absolutely hit this poor... Asathi. Poor Asathi. Well, I mean, they could be on uh, doing the the work of the gods, but uh, usually when someone is in an undead entourage, I don't trust them. That's, I mean, that's a good rule of thumb to live by. What's the damage on that uh, manuscript you absolutely hit with? It's 6010 psychic damage, plus awesome. if it hits a spellcaster, uh, they must make a saving throw. Uh, using their spellcasting ability, and if they fail, they cannot use any spells of third level or lower. Uh, oh, so, my yeah, so uh, if you make that roll, I'll make the psychic damage roll. Perfect. Uh, looks like I have dealt this Asafi 28 points of psychic damage. Well, he's going to be very sad about that turn of events. Um, I don't know if he still has the psyche to realize. Uh, he, he made it 24 on his intelligence save, so no okay. slouch in that department. But Oh, well, it sounds like that it will still be casting spells, but he has just had a psychic spear cast through his skull. Yes, and you said that was 28? 28. 28 points of damage. Cool. All right, he's up, but he is salty. And well, I pulled that spell from the Scarlands Player's Guide. It is a, it is a favorite. Uh, also fond of mage daggers, but uh, we, you know, we don't have time for everything. That's true. That's true. Uh, as all of these undead are bearing down on your entire team. But before you are able to do anything further, Rassiter, you see your shadows begin to dance around your ankles and creep up your body. And I think we already have this audio. So, oh, um. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, so. I'll just record a coda. Yeah. Uh, so that's me out of the game. Rassiter is gone, not as part of the plot, but because I'm off to the bar. <laughs> so I'm going to bid adieu, adieu to you and you and you to all of my lovely fellow players. Uh, there are actual reasons I'm leaving. It isn't just because I'm a really rude player. Uh, so if you want to find me, look on MatthewDawkins.com, go on Twitter at DawkinsMP or check out the Onyx Path Discord. All of this stuff will be repeated at the end of the session by our wonderful hosts. So everyone else, have a lot of fun, minus your favorite rat man. We'll do and our of best. Minus me. We'll do our best to uh, soldier on. Keep. Our I mean, you've got no cleric now, so try not to take any damage. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I mean, I think that's enough to make Dixie dangerous in the editing booth. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's good enough. I think.